something special about getting together and, and gathering and, and just love being in a place of worship. I remember going through lockdown in, in 2020 and sitting there the one day and I watched a video on YouTube of worship in Israel and it was at a time when the churches were closed, we couldn't gather and, and I remember just having tears welling up in my eyes as I saw people stand together worshiping and there's something special about it, being together and and, and being unified in just lifting up our King. This morning I want to go through the second part of, of Acts chapter 1. And it's an overlap. I did go through some of these scriptures last week, but probably from a little bit of a different angle this week as we go to the end of the chapter. And I want to read, and then what we'll do is we'll, I'm going to break it up into a couple of different components and look at certain passages of, of the scripture in isolation and just see what we feel like God is saying to us. But from verse 12 is where we're looking, and it's where Matthias was chosen to replace Judas as the heading. And it goes on to say, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, um, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. Again, okay, Shanae spoke about that word devoting earlier, but they were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up amongst the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. So this is the first sign we see of the early church starting to come together. And there's about 120 of them that had gathered. And said, brothers, the scripture has to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. It's quite a graphic picture that we see in scripture here. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that that field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two names. And, and they put forward Joseph, called uh, Barsabbas, who was also Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Something here, just, I love how there's something about the recognition of the hearts. And we, we, we've heard in the this, this story of David coming through and, and says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the hearts. And then the disciples are appealing to God here saying, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go in his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So the first thing I want to look at is Judas. 
and, and the reference to Judas here, because why would this passage of Scripture speak so graphically about Judas? And what does it have to do? What is the purpose of it? In Matthew 27, verse 3 to 10, we see a different account of this. And it says, Then when Judas, his betrayer, his being Jesus, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief of priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said it is not lawful to put them back into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and brought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. This is Matthew 27 from verse 3 to 10. So why is this in here? Well, this speaks of the fulfillment of prophecy, which points to the significance of who Jesus was. So it's, it's, it's a testimony to the legitimacy of the story of Jesus. It goes back and we see the reference into Psalms. We see the reference into Isaiah. And we recognize, or sorry, to Jeremiah. And we recognize that this is the fulfillment of prophecy coming to fruition. And it's, it's significant at that time because this is the, the, the early disciples are busy trying to figure out where to go from here. And, and they're starting to recount what they had learned. And I, and I want to make a, a quick note on this. The people referring to the <coughs> prophetic word, the people going back and proclaiming scripture of old, were not skilled in the scriptures. Because the disciples were not the rabbi's apprentices who were coming through and had studied these things and were equipped in the scriptures, yet there was something of being close to Jesus that they had become competent in knowing the word. And Peter stands up and says, actually, guys, there's, there's a prophecy that even in our time right now needs to be fulfilled as they speak of the fulfillment of prophecy with what happened to Judas. And something that, that stands out for me in this is that Judas walked away says here, Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And we look at it and we think, well, if prophecy was fulfilled, did Judas have a choice? And was this poor guy just a casualty of this, this, this cosmic plan, this divine outworking? And the thing that struck me is the number of times in Scripture where Jesus, before Judas had betrayed him, gave him an opportunity to turn from what he was doing. In John 13, from verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet 
and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. So even in that moment, Jesus starts to speak. There's a number of times that Jesus references it. When Jesus speaks at the Last Supper and he says, um, some, one of you is going to betray me. And they start going through and each one of the disciples, surely not I, Lord, surely not I, Lord, surely not I, Lord. And it gets to Judas and he says, surely not I, Rabbi. There was a distinction in the revelation of the Lordship of Christ that set him apart. But he had opportunity and Jesus didn't just leave him to his own devices, but gave him opportunity to step out of the, the opportunity that he had faced with his temptation. <coughs> but do you want to come up? You want to share? In this John 15, we see two, I mean John 13, we see two different perspectives. You see the response of Peter, and you see the response of Judas. Jesus washed both their feet. But you see something of Peter saying, first of all, not, not me, Lord. I don't want you to touch my feet. I know who you are. He acknowledged the Lordship of Christ. When Jesus says, but understand, you cannot inherit what I've destined for you to inherit unless you are clean. He says, just wash all of me. I, I want everything that you can give me. There was something of a, a, of a difference. And in this passage, we start to see Peter stepping into the forefront. I just want to get Shanae to share a little bit of what's on her heart as well with regards to this. So for me, just, I, I so relate to Peter. And so <laughs> I, just, I just love how Peter goes from putting his foot in it so often in the, in the old, or, or uh, before Jesus um, is crucified um, and the resurrection and you know when he when he says no no I will never deny you and then it happens and just his shame and his disappointment in, in himself for that you know <laughs> that's fine and um, <laughs> yeah so um Peter, Peter um, denies Jesus and he's, he's horrified when he realizes what he's done. Pardon? Oh, okay. And, um, yeah, so, so he, he denies him. And then you look at Judas and how Judas betrayed Jesus and his choice was to turn away and to... He couldn't live with that betrayal. He, he, he didn't allow God to redeem him. Whereas Peter allowed God to redeem him. And I just love how he allows God to redeem him. He steps into all of it. He doesn't, he doesn't come back the same Peter even. He, he, he goes from denying Jesus 
to walking into a, a space of authority um, in Acts. So he actually, he actually almost paves the way in a large way, leading a lot of the conversations with the other disciples. He becomes the leader. And this, this redemption picture for me is just beautiful, how he, he didn't allow his mistakes to define him. He, he took on the identity that God had given him as him as Savior and Lord and him justifying Peter. And so um, I, just, I just love this picture of uh, forgiving self. And so it reminds me of a movie that I watched. Uh, it was a movie of a young girl whose, whose mom couldn't afford to look after them. She, she was living in a school bus. They were hiding in a school bus and living there. And this little girl was growing up there and then sneaking out to go to school. And the mom's solution to this problem was to, uh, to, to go back to an ex-boyfriend who wasn't a very good man and a, and a drunkard. And this young girl refused to go back there. And she ended up going and living with a friend. And the mom and the boyfriend ended up dying in a car accident. And this girl just had such guilt and shame about having left her mom. And so this, this young lady was a very special young girl where she, where she would go and uh, help all her friends. If ever they were in need, she would go and help them. And so... When this all happened, she started pulling away from everyone. She dropped out of school. She, uh, she, she stopped hanging out with her friends. She wouldn't connect with them anymore. And she went and she found work. She was working and find, finding her own way. But then her dog, her only prized possession that she had left, or her only possession that she had left, that she, she now was so connected to and, and wanted to, to, to keep, you know, um, got really sick and needed surgery that she couldn't afford. And so she started working even harder and doing more jobs, taking on more jobs. And her friends decided to do a fundraiser for her. And they ended up raising the money for this dog's surgery. And they were able to, to help this, this dog. But not only did they raise the funds for this dog to, to get the surgery, they ended up raising $200,000 for this young girl because of everything she had done for everybody else around her. People just wanted to help. And she felt so unworthy of this gift. And in the end, she has a revelation and she says, I don't know how to thank you, but I guess that's the point. I don't have to repay you. I just need to take this gift and use it. And so this money would afford her the opportunity to go back to school and get an education and even get a degree in university. And so she would have squandered this had she decided to stay in that guilt, in that shame, and carry on working and maybe even give the money away. She would have squandered what her friends tried to do for her. And instead, she took that on. And for me, there was just a revelation for us I can never, ever repay God for what he did, sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for me. But what I can do is take it 
and use it how he intended me to use it, to accept the identity he has given me, to accept the forgiveness and grace he has given me, and to, to walk in the freedom that he has destined me to walk in, the purpose and the plans that he had created for me. And that's what, you, that's what I believe we see Peter doing. He used that gift that God had given him. And so for me, that's just a really um, exciting exciting thing to see to see him walk in that so yeah. I think the interesting thing about that is Judas you see in this uh, in Matthew that Judas had a change of heart and yet he still did not have a revelation of the forgiveness of who Jesus was he still didn't have a revelation that there was a redemption for him and he thought the only way out was to go and hang himself in his field and, and there's something of that, whereas Peter walked into the fullness of it. And we, as we see Peter grow, we see when the Holy Spirit comes upon Peter, he even gets released into even more, which is amazing. The second thing I want to look at is the appointing of another apostle. And the Bible says here in Acts, it says there that there was a, uh, he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. They recognized that there was a need for another person to take the share allotted to Judas. They felt that there needed to be 12 within what was happening. And, and so there was a portion that was allotted. There was a need for it. And it was needed to fulfill prophecy because we see in Psalm 109 verse 8, which is what's referenced in this passage of scripture, that there needs to be another to take his office. So once again, we see this prophecy coming to the point where it needs to be fulfilled. And Peter acknowledges that this is the moment when that has to happen. So what happens is the team puts together two names. Now, they acknowledge that they need to recognize the heart, and that is something that only God can do. But they speak about someone who's walked a road with Jesus, someone who's been with Jesus from the beginning. So they know this individual. They've seen their character. They've seen fruit come to like fruition in this person's life. And both Joseph and Matthias were chosen. They were obviously consistent and faithful. They were people who surrounded themselves with Jesus. In Mark 4 verse 10, it says there, And he, Jesus, was when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. He separated himself from the crowd. There were the twelve, and there were a few others that followed that he allowed to be. I'm sure both these men must have been in that crowd. Both these men must have been standing there witnessing what Jesus was doing. All that was required was for God to qualify his heart and affirm his call. It says there that we want to know, Lord, which one you have chosen. And this starts speaking to the distinction between qualification by character and call and the fact that both are important, but, but there's no hierarchy in ministry. Because if you go through and you start reading 1 Timothy 3, which speaks about the, the qualifications for an elder and the qualifications for a deacon, are not vastly different from the manifestation of being saved. They're not vastly different from just walking a life close to Jesus. It's not that they set such a high standard that the bar's up here. But what happens is that's the, the character qualification 
but the call separates where we go and what we do. So we know that qualification is not intellectual or academic. We see this with Peter when he starts to unpack the scriptures. He wasn't qualified in the scriptures. But we live through a time at the moment where often it's an academic qualification that is identified as the call, and that's what qualifies us for the ministry that we've been doing. And it's a dangerous thing because if God hasn't chosen us to do what we are doing, there's a problem. So we've got to look at, and I'm not saying, please hear my heart. I don't have a problem with theology. I don't have a problem with studying theology. I don't think there's anything wrong with unpacking scriptures and becoming academically astute in it. However, if we start to be, make the academic side of things our qualifying criteria, what we're doing is unbiblical. Because the Bible speaks about calling. The Bible also speaks about commission, which is God's timing. And in this particular instance, we see the, the overlapping of the call of Matthias and the commissioning of him simultaneously. But for David, that wasn't so. David only stepped into the call when, when Saul had died. Joseph only stepped into the call once he, the famine hit and he was already in the place of, of, of working with Pharaoh, but there was a process that took him from the call when he received the dreams to the time of commission. And often our commission is delayed for our characters to be refined and for equipping to take place, so that when the commissioning happens, God walks us into fulfilling this function. Our call might come to replace one who turned aside. So we might be second choice or third choice in what's happening. And that's okay. But my prayer over us is that we will not turn aside to make room for others in the call that God's called us to do. And we see with Judas the number of opportunities that he had for prophecy to be fulfilled. Uh, with him coming through, but that, sorry, this point. We see the number of times that he had for him to walk away from the prophecies to be fulfilled. He had opportunity to walk away from that. He had opportunity to actually come and align himself. And I believe there would have been redemption for him. I believe that Jesus would have welcomed a change of heart. And may we be a people who don't make room for others in our ministry by turning aside from what God's called us to do. The other thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is we start to see the first outworking of team... In church ministry. We see Peter beginning, beginning to lead. There was a captain, once again it's not a hierarchy, but what he is, he was the leader amongst equals. He was the captain amongst equals. And I've said before that the captain doesn't have to be the best player in the team, but there's something of a getting the best out of the team that's important in that. The team were present and the team was involved and the team put the names forward. So there was a group effort, and we start seeing the purpose of an eldership team start to come through to the forefront with what these guys were doing, even at a time when the Holy Spirit had yet to be poured out. So you've got to know that the anointing of Matthias was a, it's an interesting time because it's after Jesus had been resurrected, but it was before Pentecost. So it's this one act of ministry that took place outside of the anointing of Holy Spirit. 
which is why these poor guys had to cast lots for, for what they were doing because they needed to try and get an answer from God. The beauty of where we operate from today is we get to operate through the fullness of the outpouring of Holy Spirit. And we don't have to cast lots. We get to inquire of God. We get to hear God because the, the, the messenger, God himself, Holy Spirit, has come upon us. And we get to operate in that place. And once again, we, we live through a time where there's a lot of talk about the fact that the Holy Spirit no longer reigns the way that he did is no longer manifesting in the way that he did before. That we see that that kind of portion of, of Scripture was fulfilled. And, and, and there's almost a, a desire for us to operate back in what the guys were doing at this time. This moment in between resurrection and outpouring. And the reality is, is for us to be fully efficient in what God's called us to do, it is impossible to do it without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I heard a statement recently that there's more evidence of strange fire than no fire in, this, in the Word. And that's not inviting us to be weird people. We don't want to be weird and strange in what we do. However, sometimes Holy Spirit does things that go against, goes against the grain, and we see evidence of this in Scripture. But I know that I know that I know that with us, we have to be tied into who God is. I think it's in Galatians, it says, walk in step with the Spirit. We need to be a people who walk in step with what Holy Spirit is doing, even if sometimes He calls us to do things that might be strange. But Jesus spitting on mud and putting it in the eyes of people was a strange thing to do. Um, we see the evidence of it with Jesus. We see evidence of it in Acts. And... It is something that we need to make ourselves open to, to allow Holy Spirit to do what He's called us to do. And I want to end off with this here, is the ministry. And it says in, in this passage of Acts, it says there, One of these men must become with us a witness to His resurrection. It was a weird way of putting it. And I realized in the context of the society they were living in, there was not a single person who doubted the death of Jesus. Every single person believed that Jesus died on the cross because they saw it firsthand. We live in a time where people don't even believe that Jesus ever lived. And they don't believe in his death. And, and yet we often speak of, and Jesus died for our sins. But in this particular instance, Matthias was set apart to share the testimony and be a witness of the resurrection. And there's something for that in us, that we've got to be a people who testify to the resurrection of Jesus, not just to his death. It was this distinction between seeing Jesus die that led to them stepping into the fullness of his kingdom. Because they got to walk with Jesus is alive. Jesus is well and that was something that was entrusted to Matthias in this thing. We see his name only in this passage of scripture. We don't know what happened to him afterwards. We don't know where he went. We don't know what he did. But we know that what was entrusted to him was the testimony of the resurrection of who Jesus is. So we need to be a people who proclaim the testimony of his resurrection who understand it, know it, and walk in the fullness of who God's called us to be, knowing that He is alive and well and sits at the right hand of the Father. 
So I want to end it there. I want to go into a time of, of, of worship. We just have a moment to reflect on some of these things. Maybe this morning we, we're feeling that guilt, and guilt's not of God. Condemnation's not of God. Conviction is, but conviction draws us close to Him. Condemnation and guilt draw us away from Him. We see Peter experiencing conviction and becoming an incredible minister of the gospel. We see Judas experiencing guilt and landing up walking away completely from his inheritance. Maybe there's something of a leadership call on our lives that God's wanting to just reaffirm in us. That thing of being consistent, being present with Jesus. There might be a call, there might be a commission. Just being ready to do what God's called us to do. There might be things that God's highlighting to us in terms of our qualification by character. They're just like little character things. Emmanuel prayed about that earlier. Lord, reveal to us anything that's hidden. There might be something of that that God wants to, to highlight. And I know for me this week, preparing to preach this message, there were many things that God highlighted to me that I know I need to work on. I need to just, just refine. We're trusting that in His presence He'll bring refinement. <sighs> Maybe there's a Peter moment where God's wanting to just restore. And Peter stood on the, on the beach and Jesus says to him three times, Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. There's, there's something of this moment with, with Jesus where Peter denies Jesus three times and three times he's restored and we see him released. And I'd love to have a testimony like that where you just get to walk in the fullness of it. And maybe there's something about this responsibility of being witnesses to the resurrection, testifying to those around us and walking with that. Maybe there's an intimidation that comes with that. Maybe there's a, I don't know, Lord. Maybe there's a questioning of the significance of that, where we kind of know Jesus died for our sins, but there's something of the revelation of his resurrection and his rule and reign to this day that we're questioning and we say, Lord, bring revelation to that now. So we're going to sing a song. A song says, set a fire in my soul. We're going to be going through in the next couple of weeks the, the joys of Pentecost, the, the outpouring of Holy Spirit, the empowering that comes. But this morning, I trust that we're going to open our hearts just to allow God to start to minister to us individually. So Lord Jesus, I just pray for us right now. I pray, Father, for an openness to hear what you have to say. I pray, Lord, that we'll have an incredible revelation the price that you paid, but not only the fact that you died for us, Lord, but that in your rising again, we get to share in this eternal, eternal kingdom, Lord. That was part of your perfect plan. I pray, Lord, through this church, we will see the Peters come, Lord. Those who are restored and released, walking with power, walking with anointing, walking with a supernatural confidence. Lord, I pray for potential Judases.
that one, we'll be a people who wash their feet. We'll be a people who love them. We'll be a people who keep providing opportunity for them not to step aside from what you've called them to. Lord, I pray for the Josephs, Father, who are qualified by character but might have a different call. That you protect their hearts, Lord Jesus. And that you reveal the fullness of what you have for them. I pray for the Matthias's, Lord, that come along. Those who have been faithful from the beginning but potentially felt overlooked. Yet, Father, that you are working with them, readying them for such a time as this. Lord, and I pray, Father, for the group that gathered who were devoted to prayer, sitting, waiting with expectation for the promise that you had given. Lord, that maybe there's promises that we have that we are waiting on, Lord. I pray, Father, that we'll be devoted to prayer, that we'll be a thankful people as we wait on you to fulfill the promises that you've spoken. So, Lord Jesus, we just pray for more of you. Holy Spirit, have your way. Minister to our hearts this morning. I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, King. Amen.